Heavenly Father, it's Your Scripture, it's Your words written to us. This is You communicating to us, God. And Father, we're trying together to learn to love Your Word and to know how to learn Your Word and how to live Your Word. And Father, I pray that as we continue in this series, we continue diving in, Lord, would You open our eyes and our mind, our heart to Your Scriptures. Lord, I pray that You create a hunger in us for us to want to know and live out Your Word. Jesus, uh, pray that You preach this message. I pray Your Holy Spirit does a work in this room and that You would take us all on a path of growth to grow beyond even where we are, wherever we are, whether we know a little or we know a lot, Father, there's always more in Your Scripture for us. So grow us today. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have been talking about three goals of this series, three simple goals. One is that you would learn to love the Word, that you would desire God's Word more than you would desire anything else, that you would have a love and a passion and desire to say, I need God's Word in my life. Another goal is that you would learn the Word, that together we discover how do we learn the Scriptures, and that and that that can be done, that we can glean insight and learn God's Word, and then beyond learning God's Word, that we would live out His Word. That's what the goals we've been living on and working towards. Loving the Word, learning the Word, and living out the Word. And today I begin with just asking the question, have you ever felt like sometimes the Bible is just closed to you? Have you ever felt like sometimes when I read the Word, I, if I read the Scriptures, I just don't get anything out of it? Have you ever felt like there's just kind of a roadblock or like maybe God's Word's a little boring or I don't understand, it doesn't make sense? Or you ever had the thought that just says, what's the big deal about this? I don't really, really get it. Have you ever felt that way? You've picked a good Sunday to be in church. Have you ever felt like, I, I read it sometimes and it just kind of goes over my head. Well, today's a good Sunday to be here because today I'm going to explain why the Bible can be a closed book to us. I'm going to explain why sometimes there are barriers, why sometimes we can read it and we feel like I just read it and I got absolutely nothing out of it. The fact is, the Bible can be a very difficult Bible, a book to understand if you don't understand the principle of illumination. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the principle of illumination. We're going to talk about that. The other day I went to Lowe's. We're trying to get some, some new lights in the office here, and we've been debating about do we paint it, do we put new light bulbs in. I, I do not like to paint. Uh, and so I said, let's see if we can get some new light bulbs. And so I went into Lowe's, and if, if you've been in the light bulb aisle lately, you can stand in a light bulb aisle, and you can get really confused very quickly. You're like, there's LEDs, there's CFLs, there's halogen, there's old standard kind of bulbs, and then there's all these lumens from 100 lumens to 500 lumens to 1,500 lumens. There's all these different wattages. There's all these different colors from soft white to bright, and you're standing there going, now which light bulb would work in that office? Which one's going to really light it up? Which one's really going to make the difference so that hopefully we don't have to pull the paint out and paint to brighten the office? I was kind of confused. Started asking an associate, and he said, well, I think you should use this kind of ball. Brought it back. It was the wrong one. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I learned. The brighter the bulb, the clearer you see, Right? The more light you put in, the brighter it is, the more you can see, and that is so true when it comes to God's Word. It's true. The more light, the more enlightened your mind is, the more illuminated your mind is, the more you're going to get out of God's Word. 
God's Word's kind of like a light bulbs, and it can go off, and it can get brighter and brighter and brighter because it's not just about the Bible. It's about illumination. And let me tell you what illumination is. Illumination is when you let the Holy Spirit show you the meaning of God's Word and how it applies to your life. The Holy Spirit does a work inside of you, and the Holy Spirit guides you and directs you. You see, before Jesus went back to heaven, he said, I'm going back to heaven. This is after the resurrection, and I'm going to send a spirit to live inside of you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he says, I'm going to send the spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate or to open your mind or to turn the light bulb on, so to speak, to God's Word. And I'm going to give you this spirit, and that spirit is a helper. And if you don't have that spirit, then you're going to miss a lot. Or if you're not talking with the Holy Spirit as you're in the Word of God, you're going to miss a lot. It's kind of like Christmas time. When my kids were much younger, I remember going through the whole thing and Brian and I are picking out all the toys and you're always looking on it. What does it say? Batteries not included. Batteries not included. Batteries not included. So you're buying all the toys and you're thinking, okay, I got double A and I got to have triple A and I got to have D size battery and C size battery. And so you load up all these batteries and the kids open it. You have to have that power. It's kind of like that. The toy is still a toy even without the batteries, but the toy gets a whole lot better when you put the batteries in it, unless you're like a lot of kids, they say, give me the box. But really, we know in order for that toy to really function, it has to have the battery power. The Holy Spirit is the power that turns the light on. The Holy Spirit, this is still the Bible no matter what, but when you put the Holy Spirit into it, it's like saying, now I have the batteries to function and the batteries to get the full power. Look what the Bible says in John 14, 26. Jesus said, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. That Holy Spirit will come and teach you all things. That's kind of an illumination idea. Turn the lights on. John 14, 17 says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The Holy Spirit leads you to understand the truth of the Word of God. Look at John 16, 15. The Spirit will take from what is mine, that is the Word of Jesus, Jesus saying, this Spirit will take from my words and make it known to you. That's illumination. Make it known to you. It is God's Spirit saying, this is what this means in your mind as you read it so that it's made known to you. Ephesians 1.17 says, I ask the glorious Father, this is the words of the Apostle Paul, I ask the glorious Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will make you wise and let you understand what it means to know God. The batteries get turned on. The Holy Spirit will make you wise in what it means to know and understand God. That's called batteries included, so to speak. What I'm saying is, is this, this book that we have, it's a supernatural book. It's not just a book. It's God's Word. In this book, you have a great opportunity. You have an opportunity in this book like no other book. You can actually talk with the author as you read it. There is no other book that you can take off of your bookshelf, and as you read it, you're going to have a conversation with the author, but you can do that with the Bible because of the power of the Holy Spirit. As you're reading it, you get to talk with the author, and beyond that, the author is talking to you. But we have to have the Holy Spirit that's engaged in that conversation. As I read this book, I get to say, Lord, Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, with your help, explain this to me. How does this make a difference in my life, what am I supposed to do with this scripture? And the Holy Spirit then whispers in your ear. He puts thoughts. He puts impressions. He puts ideas in your mind. He opens your mind. He illuminates your mind and your heart. And the Holy Spirit does that work. How does he do this work? Ephesians 1 explains this. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be 
enlightened, that's illuminated, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. He writes the words, the eyes of your heart. Now what's He talking about? We know our eyes, our hearts don't have eyes, but we also know that God gave us five senses. When we are born, we are we created with, with the sense of, of hearing and taste and touch and smell and feel. And we understand that in this world, as we interact with things, everything comes through our senses. Well, when you're spiritually born again, when you surrender your life to Christ and you accept Jesus as Savior, you're born again, you're born in God's family, you develop a relationship with Jesus, and in that relationship, when you're born again, he gives you a second set of senses. You get spiritual ears to hear some things maybe you've never heard before. You get spiritual eyes, and all of a sudden you start to see some things in this world like you've never seen before. These are the eyes of your heart that Paul is referring to here in this passage, that you can start to see some things like you've never seen. You start to realize some things like you've never realized. You get to hear some things that you've never heard before, because we actually live in two worlds. We live in a spiritual world, and we live in a physical world. We cannot see what goes on in this spiritual world. All the stuff that deals with angels and all that stuff that's around us, that spiritual, we can't see that stuff. But the physical world, well, we can see the chairs before us. We can see the building that is around us. We can see the cars. We can see our home. We can see the physical world. But God and his angels and the spirits inside of you, they last forever, and this physical world doesn't last forever. The spiritual world existed before the physical world. And so when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you're operating in that spiritual world. And when you engage with God's Word, God starts to speak in us. I pray that the eyes of your heart, that's your spiritual eyes, will be enlightened. To enlighten means to shine the light on something. What it means is that when you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden one day the light bulb comes on, it's when you're reading a passage and you're like, I've read that a hundred times, and all of a sudden it's like, bam, light just came on. Now I get it. Oh, now I understand that. Oh, a new idea. And maybe it's even a passage you've underlined before, but then all of a sudden it's alive. You're not just reading it. The light bulb is coming on. For some of you in this room, maybe that hasn't happened. For some of you in this room, you read the Bible and just words on a page. You read it and it's like blah, 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 blah. I don't get it. That's possible. You could be sitting in this room, that could be wrestling with something. You haven't had that experience where it's like, oh, the light bulb just came on. Now I get it. Now I get the big idea. For some of you, that happens infrequently. It happens occasionally. Maybe it happened once in a while. Today, I want to teach everybody in this room how to make it a regular part of your Bible reading, your Bible study, that you have light bulb moments and hopefully many light bulb moments where the Word is just popping and just coming alive. And you're like, oh, I get it. Oh, this makes sense. Oh, I want to read some more. I hope that you would love the Word of God and so many moments will be coming on that you get so distracted in God's Word that you're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be late for my appointment. Oh my goodness, I'm running late for work. Why? Because I was having so much great time in God's Word. And that can happen. That can happen. It doesn't have to be a rush getting through and I spent my five minutes with God and now I move on. It can be alive and active. Here's what I want to do in today's message. I want to share with you three stories from the Bible. I want to share with you three stories that illustrate what happens when the light comes on. And then we'll wrap up with about five minutes of real quick uh, five ways to make that happen. Here's what happens when God opens my eyes. One is I see the solution to my problems. That's the first things that happen. I see solutions to my problems when the light comes on. The, the story I want to look at is Genesis 21. You might want to turn there. We're not going to put all these scriptures on the screen. It's a story of Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and their sons, Isaac and Ishmael. 
Now, God promises Abraham, he says that he would be the father of a great nation, the nation of Israel, and that God would give him a son uh, to be the heir of this great nation. Interesting part is at the age of 90, Abraham still doesn't have that son. And I'm sure you would be like Abraham, and I'd be like Abraham going, I don't have that son, I'm 90 years old, I don't think that's going to happen, and so we have a problem. God, you told me you're going to have, I'm going to have a son, and he's going to be an heir of the nation, of a great nation. And Sarah says, you're not kidding me, this is a real serious problem. We still don't have that son. And so Sarah comes up with plan B, so to speak. Sarah says, I got a better idea. Says, Abraham, here's what we can do. I'm too old to have a baby. You'd be too old to be a father right now. And so I, God's promised that he would give us this child, so why don't we try plan B? And she says, why don't you take my, hand, my, my assistant, my handmaiden, Hagar, and she'll be a surrogate mother, and you can have a baby through her. And Abraham says, hey, Sarah, you're pretty smart. Let's do that. It's a great idea. And so what happens is Hagar gets pregnant with Abraham's child. It's not God's plan. That's Sarah's plan. But a little baby is born, and he's a beautiful little baby, and they name him Ishmael. Ishmael begins to grow up, and Abraham holds, holds up Ishmael before God and says, God, you have given me my promised boy. And God says, no. No, Abraham, that's not the promised boy. Abraham, that wasn't my plan. That's Sarah's plan. And God even communicates in the Scriptures. You read it. I love Ishmael. He's a good kid. I'm going to make him a great nation too. But he's not the promised miracle boy because obviously at 90 years of age and your wife is old, it's going to have to be a miracle. And so later by a miracle, Sarah does get pregnant. She has a little boy. She names him Isaac, who becomes the father of the Jewish nation. And by the way, Ishmael became the father of the Arab nations. And Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. Even today, Sarah gets upset. And she starts thinking inside. She starts thinking, well, Ishmael, he's a little bit older, and he's the firstborn, and so he's probably going to get the inheritance. And so she's getting upset with that, and Abraham's going to favor him is what she's thinking. And so she gets jealous, and she figures, well, the only way to handle this is to kick Ishmael and Hagar, his mother, out of the house, and she'd no longer be my servant. And so she does that. She kicks him out says, you're no longer my servant. You're no longer my assistant. Get out of here. And then we pick up the story in Genesis 21, verse 14. It says this, early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water. Now, a skin of water is what they would do, uh, uh, use an animal skin to make a canteen out of in those days to carry the water, and gave them to Hagar. He set them off on her shoulders and then sent them off with her boy. In other words, I'm kicking you out of the house. I'm getting you out of here. Here's some water. Go. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in his skin was gone, she put the boy Ishmael under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. They're not only starving to death, they're dying of thirst. They're, they're out in the desert, and she's thinking, I can't watch this boy die. So she hides him kind of underneath a, a shaded spot because she, there's no water out in the desert or wandering. We have no home. We've been kicked out of our homeland. We've been kicked out of our place of security. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. It's a story of rejection. It's a story of major rejection. And God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And he did. All the Arab nations came out of Ishmael. Now look at what happens in verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and she filled the skin, being the canteen, with her water, and gave the boy the drink. They survived the situation, that event, and she went on, and Ishmael became the father of the Arab nations. You see what it says in 19? Then God opened her eyes, illuminated her mind. 
open her eyes. Here's the point. She had a solution right in front of her. She's right near a well, but she doesn't see it. She couldn't see it until God opened her mind, until God illuminated her mind, helped her see it from a different perspective. Now, I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know what kind of problem you're going on, dealing with right now. You might have problems in your life, and quite frankly, you might be sitting here going, this makes no sense. There's no answer to it. I cannot see the solution. It doesn't look like there's a solution. All I'm in is a dead-end situation, and God, I have no clue what to do. You, you need to have your mind illuminated. You need to have a light bulb moment. You need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your mind and turn the light on. You need to open your spiritual eyes so that you can see in God's Word, here's the answer. You're never going to see the solution on your own. As long as we keep journeying on by ourselves, we won't see the solution. We've tried that sometimes. Maybe you've tried that. I don't see how, how this one's going to get worked out, but you need to see it from God's point of view. Hagar could not see how it would get worked out. Angel of the Lord opened her eyes. When God opened your eyes, you see the resources that were literally right there in front of you that you couldn't see. When you get in God's Word, He'll open your mind and He'll show you the resources. Story number two, the second benefit of having your eyes spiritually open is I see the barrier to my progress. This is one of those crazy stories. And I only see the solution to my problems, but I see the barrier to my progress. You have some things that you've been wanting to do in your life quite possibly. You've been wanting to start a business. Maybe you want to start a family, get out of debt. You've had some goal or some dream. You've been trying to get progress on it, but you keep bumping into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and you're going, I don't get it. I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm doing the best I can. I'm not making any progress. Well, you need God to illuminate or open your mind. Turn a light bulb on. Look at Numbers 22. Again, I'm not going to read all of this. You can check it out later. It's the story of Balaam. Balaam was a prophet of God. He was a man of God. But Balaam decided and agreed to help out the bad guys. Kind of had an argument with God. God got ticked off. He goes, wait a minute, Balaam, you're supposed to be my representative, and now you're going to go to the other side, you're going to help them out? And so Balaam starts on a journey to go meet up with the bad guys, and God puts an angel in his pathway to block his progress. He's like, this is not what I want you to do, this is not your plan, I'm going to block your progress. And only Balaam, the problem is, Balaam can't see the angel. So he doesn't know what's going on, but his barrier to his progress was invisible. He couldn't see it. So he's heading off on his journey. We pick up the story in Numbers 22 with verse 22. It says, but God was furious that Balaam was going, was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Balaam's donkey suddenly saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. Now the donkey could see him, but Balaam could not see him. And a donkey bolted off the road in the field out of fear. So the donkey sees this angel out of fear. The donkey runs away, but Balaam beat the donkey and turned it back on the road. I mean, here's a picture. What are you doing, you stupid donkey? Beats it to death, gets it back on the road, and uh, Balaam can't see what's happening. And so they start traveling along. Donkey's pretty smart, goes off in that ditch. Balaam gets angry. Not the donkey's fault. Here's what second says. Second time says the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed. So this happens again as they're on the road. The road narrows between two vineyard walls. It's a very narrow spot, and the angel of the Lord then stood in the middle of that road, thinking I'll try to block Balaam again, try to get his attention. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing there, it tried to squeeze by and crush Balaam's foot against the wall. So the donkey's like, I don't want to take another beating. So I see this angel there holding a sword, but maybe I can just kind of squeeze on by it. I, I tell you, we always get hurt when we try to do something God doesn't want us to do. 
We're always going to get hurt. When God says, i got a plan for you, and you say, no, I'm going to go ahead and push my way through, you're going to get hurt. We always get our foot crushed, so to speak. Balaam doesn't see what's going on. He looks at the donkeys. Why'd you do that? Why'd you crush my leg against the wall? So Balaam beat the donkey again because he's angry. He's got a broken leg. Third time, then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place so that narrow donkey could not get by at all. This time, the donkey saw the angel. It lay down under Balaam. I'd say it's a pretty smart donkey. Donkey's like, I try to push my way through. I try to run off. I'm taking beatings. I give up. He just collapsed and gives up. In a fit of rage, though, the Bible says that Balaam beat it again with its staff. Balaam is so upset because his donkey is not doing what he wants to do. Now look at verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. That's illumination. He opened Balaam's eyes, and now Balaam saw what the problem was. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, saying, you're not passing this way. So what does Balaam do now that his eyes have opened? He, bow, he, he, he bowed low and fell face down and worshiped God. Kept trying to do it his way, his way, his way, his way, until finally he realized, oh, God is doing this. God is blocking me. It's a very strange story. Very unusual. But here's the point. You have plans in your life right now that maybe they're not working out. You try to go this way and you get blocked. You try to go that way and you get blocked. You try to go this way and you get blocked. And you're getting mad at everybody else. You're mad at your mom. You're mad at your dad. You're mad at your wife. You're mad at your kids. You're mad at your boss. You're beating your donkey. You're kicking your dog. You've all been there. Mad at everybody else because things are not working out. And the real problem might be God's blocking your way. And you don't even see it. God's got a better plan for you. God's blocking that issue. He keeps trying to stop you from making a serious mistake in your life. God's saying, I'm not going to let you go down that road. No matter how much you beat your head against the wall, I'm not going to let you go down that road because I love you too much. And sometimes God blocks our way because he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to go down a direction that's going to be hurtful down the road. When your progress is being blocked, you've got one of two choices. You either beat your donkey or let God open your eyes. You get mad at, at the situation or you let God open your eyes. You can either get mad at everybody else, you can spiritually vomit everybody else and take it out on them and take it out on your kids, take it out on your husband, take it out on your wife, take it out on your neighbors, take it out on your boss. But the problem is you can't see the problem. The barrier is God is not going to let you do that because he loves you too much. But when God opens my eyes, I can see the solution to my problems. And when God opens my eyes, I can see the barrier to my progress. And then I go, oh, that makes sense. That's what happened in Balaam. It took a while. But he finally had the light bulb go off. He finally had his life illuminated. Number three, I see how God is walking with me. When God opens my eyes, I see how God is walking with me. He's been with me all along. Now, I don't know what you've gone through over this last year. You may have felt lonely. Maybe you feel alone today. You're here today and you're like, I feel so alone. I feel like I'm in the world by myself. Maybe you feel like you're out there by yourself. You don't feel like God is with you. Sometimes you feel like God is just a million miles away and you're wondering, where is God? I, I got to let you know, if you're thinking that today, that is a lie from Satan and you're dead wrong today. God is not a million miles away. A story I want you to look at is Luke 24. 
It's a story that happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Easter Sunday, the very first Easter. So what happened over the past 72 hours, there had been a lot that had happened. Jesus Christ had been arrested. He had been whipped. He had been falsely accused, tortured. He'd been crucified. He died. He's buried in a tomb. He's put inside that tomb, and what's going on with his disciples? The disciples are crushed. Their dream is finished. They're thinking, this guy was supposed to be God. This guy was supposed to be Messiah. This guy was supposed to rescue us. And now the one who was supposed to be the king of the kings, the one who was supposed to rescue us, is now in a tomb. And they're running away, and they're scattering for their lives, and they're, they're trying to be rescued. They're like, how do we do this? Because they're going to come after us because we worship this Jesus. And now he's dead. They're confused and grief, and they're in sorrow, and they're sobbing, and they're fearful because they think if they killed Jesus, they're coming after us. Then on Easter morning, you know the count, the women go to the tomb. It's empty. Jesus isn't there. They find the tomb's empty. The body is gone. The angel is saying, he's risen. He's no longer here. And it's too much believe, and they can't believe it. And so they go back, and they tell the disciples, and they go and tell the disciples, and the disciples are like, yeah, it's true. The body's gone. They can't believe it. They run to the tomb, and they realize, wow, this body's gone. And the rumors start spreading all over that Jesus is risen. And there's even false stories that are risen, thinking, well, the body was stolen, whatever took place. But nobody's actually seen him yet. Then over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared multiple times, walking around Jerusalem, preparing to people one-on-one. At one time, he appeared to a crowd of 500 people. And the crowd of 500 people get a chance to see him and see him walking down the street and see him actually teaching again. And this is... um, I believe why the church exploded and why the church grew because there were so many witnesses. There were over 100,000 Christians in the church of Jerusalem within the first 20 years because they saw that Jesus was alive. But it's later in the day, a couple of Jesus' disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're trying to process what happened, trying to process what's going on. And as they're walking on the road to Emmaus, they're discussing and they're getting out of town, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're in fear of their life, and, and they're grieving in their sorrow. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and appears to them and starts walking with them. But because they're in so much grief, they don't even recognize him. They don't even realize it's Jesus walking with them. Their eyes are closed. They can't see it. We pick up this story in, in verse 15 of Luke 24. It says, suddenly Jesus came along and joined them. That's the two disciples. and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. Jesus said, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you so concerned about? Because they uh, talking about the crucifixion and all the chaos in Jerusalem. They stopped short, sadness written on their faces. Then Cleophas said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened in the last few days. Jesus says, what things? Kind of playing dumb with him. Like, like what are you talking about? Obviously, I mean, he, he knows what's going on. And the disciples said, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had thought he was the Messiah, we being come to, to, come to rescue Israel, that all had happened three days ago, they continued. Then some women were at his tomb early this morning and came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive, but some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women had said. And I could imagine them just babbling on to this guy who they're not sure who it is. This is what took place, and how did you miss all this? And, this is, and they're just rambling on because they're in their grief trying to tell the story, and they're all confused because they hadn't seen Jesus yet. Although Jesus was walking right alongside with them, they don't know what to believe. And then Jesus said, 
you are such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into His time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, the Old Testament writings, remember all the Old Testament writings still point to Jesus, explaining what the Scripture said about Him. By this time, they, the two disciples, were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus would have gone on, but they begged Him to stay the night with them since it was getting late, so Jesus went home with them. They still haven't recognized Him. As they sat down to eat, Jesus took a small bread, a loaf of bread, just like He did at the Last Supper, asked God for blessing it, just like He did at the Last Supper, and He broke it and gave it to them. Now look at verse 31. It says, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him. Then their eyes were opened. Illumination. The light bulb came on. Then Jesus. It's Jesus. Could you imagine? Wait a minute. It's Jesus we've been walking with all day. It's Jesus we've been talking with all day. It's Jesus who is now sitting at my table having this meal. It's Jesus who we invited to stay the night with us. Their eyes are open. They recognize him. And it says, and then he disappeared from their sight. Kind of like, I'm here. Now you recognize me. Now I got other work to do. That would have been a mind blower. That would have been. Like, what just happened? What just took place? The guy you think is God was crucified and died, and we missed that one. We, we thought that was God. Then we hear he's been resurrected, and we really don't believe it. And then a stranger's walking along with us, and a stranger's trying to talk to us, and then a stranger breaks bread with us, and then we realize it's him. It would have blown their socks off. And as soon as we recognize it's him, bam, he disappears. That was illumination. In their grief, they could not see that Jesus was with them the whole time. Jesus was on a journey with them. They had this enormous loss. They couldn't see it. They just couldn't see it. They needed illumination. Where do you need illumination in your life? Where do you need to be reminded that Jesus has been walking with you the whole way? Have you lost a loved one this year? Maybe you've had health challenges, maybe you lost your job, maybe you lost an important relationship or a big deal, you've been grieving, you cannot see that every step of the way, Jesus has been walking with you. The only way we see Jesus walks with us is we live in the Word of God and the light bulb comes on and our mind is illuminated and we realize He's right there with us, batteries included. That's where the power comes from. Without illumination, you just look at the book and it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just words on a page. It's a great story. It seems interesting, but without illumination, without the Holy Spirit doing the work, you don't realize that Jesus has been walking with you. And that's only three benefits. We could dive into a whole lot more, but I don't have the time. There are many more. I'm just giving you a sampling that when the light bulb comes on, when your mind is illuminated, you start seeing His work. So how do we get there? I said, I'll do this quickly, so prepare to write. Preparing to see what God sees, I must begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts at. That's the starting point. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're spiritually blind, you don't have any hope of seeing things from God's point of view. You've got to make that connection first. You can't just know about Jesus. You need to know Him. That's where the relationship begins. You've got to have a relationship. You've got to be born again. If you've not been born again, you've not been saved, that's where it starts. You've got to accept His salvation because in accepting His salvation, then you have the Holy Spirit to come live inside of you. And until you have that relationship, I just got to tell you, you're going to be blind. You're not going to, the light bulb's not going to come on. You're only going to be able to see from a human viewpoint. 
You won't see from a spiritual viewpoint until you're walking in a relationship with God. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit, that means he's not been born again, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Cannot. You cannot understand the things of God until you accept God's gift of salvation, until you're walking in God. This is why it's nonsense to expect believers to act like believers, to act non-believers, to, to act like believers. You can make all the laws in the world, and you can make all the rules in the world, but if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to behave like a believer. And sometimes we, the church, want the world to change. The world behaves the way it does because it doesn't know Jesus. And we can't expect the world to change until they know Jesus, until the light bulb comes on. John 3, 3 says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God. You can't see what God's doing until he is born again. You can't see God's work until you have accepted God and you have God through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. We'd love to help you on that journey. We'd love to help you on that journey today. We don't make a big push, a big call down here at Center Point, but the invitation is always open. You say, how do I do that? Well, we have communion in a few moments. If you're like, I need this Jesus. I need to be born again. I need to understand what that means. During communion, you can get up or any time from communion on, walk to the back of the room. I'll be back there. A few of our other key leaders are back there. And you say, I want to be born again, or I want to understand what that is. For some people, they use their connection card, and they write down, hey, talk to me. Get together a cup of coffee or a Coke or something and start talking about what does it mean to be in Christ? Another good opportunity is come to the membership class. That's coming up in December 5, and you're like, we explain what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be a Christian? But you've got to deal with that step first. You've got to come to Jesus before the light bulb is going to come on. Number two, the second thing you have to do is you have to ask God in faith to open my eyes. Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may see what? Wonderful things in your laws. That's this past week's memory verse. Why did I have you memorize that? Because I want you to be able to pray it every day when you open your Bible. Every day when you sit down in your Bible, your first prayer should be, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. You gotta pray that. You gotta expect that. Lord, even before I read this, before I even dive into it, Lord, just open my eyes. Here's the point. There are wonderful things in this book. There are a lot of wonder-filled things in this book. When you don't see them, it's not the Bible's fault. It's because there's some blinders on. There's some roadblocks that you're having. You, you can't see the wonder-filled things in this book until you've opened it, until you've prayed, Lord, open my eyes. See, if you're just in a rush and just a hurry and hurry up and just open this and start reading, but you haven't prayed and said, God, open my eyes, you're probably not going to see what God has planned for you. You just feel like, man, the Scripture seems dull. The Scripture's not alive. It's because you probably haven't prayed that prayer. You know how to memorize. We've been pushing Scripture memorization. You know how to memorize. It's not just with your ear. I mean, it's not just by reading it and just kind of reading it in your head. You memorize with your ears, not with your eyes. Do you understand that? It's how you memorize things. You have to memorize with your ears, not with just your eyes. You, and that's why I want you to memorize Scripture. Open my eyes. I may see wonderful things. Open my eyes and me see wonderful things in your laws, and you have to say it out loud over and over and over again. You have to speak that out loud when you're in your car or when you're in the shower or when you're shaving, when you're getting ready, you have to speak that out loud. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, I struggle so hard, Brian, I'm trying to scripture memorization. I said, well, what do you do? They said, well, I sit and I read it over and over and over, and I said, it won't work. 
They said, what do you mean it won't work? I said, you have to speak it out loud. They said, well, how do you do it? I said, you really want to know? They said, yeah. I said, I do it in my car. So here's Brian driving down the road. Lord, open my eyes, open my eyes, open my eyes, open my eyes, open my eyes. I may see, 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 see wonderful things in your laws. And then I'll sing it. Open my eyes that I may see. And I make up songs with it. Psalm 119, 18. I mean, if you pull it by a light by me, I'm like, there are people like, he is crazy. Who is he talking to? And there's no music on, and I cannot sing a lick. But you say the verse, Psalm 119, 18, you shout it, you make raps out of it, you do whatever you have to. And if you say it out loud, it starts to settle in your mind, and you'll start to memorize it. So if you're struggling through the memory thing, I'd encourage you, start doing it out loud. Do it with your kids. Do like I've done with you here in service. Say, hey, kids, repeat after me. And as your kids repeat after you, you're learning it, and you're teaching your children that. You must ask God in faith to open my eyes. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, Lord, I need wisdom in the business deal. Lord, I need wisdom with my kids. Lord, I need wisdom with my health. I need wisdom uh, rather say yes or say no. I need wisdom, God. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. And so as you open a word of God, you say, Lord, open my eyes. And you open it with faith, saying, God, I need your wisdom. And here's the promise in Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. We do that. God says, I'll teach you, I'll counsel you, I'll watch over you, I'll guide you. Number three, I come with a humble attitude. If I come to the Word of God and go, God, I got it all figured out. God, I mean, I want to read this out of duty. You're not going to get anything out of it. God, I need help with a financial issue. God, I need help in my marriage. God, I need my eyes open and have a humble heart. Psalm 25, 9 says he guides. And that's what we need. I think we need guidance this week. He guides the humble. If you'll humble yourself in what is right and teaches them his way. He does not guide the proud because the proud will not follow. Humility. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, not in yourself. Trust in the Lord in, in all your ways and lean not on your own understanding. Not here's what I think I should do, but God, what does your word say I should do? In all your ways, acknowledge him. That means in your sexual ways. That means in your financial ways. That means in your career ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. He'll point you to the path of success. Ask God to open my eyes and come with a humble attitude. Number four, I cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. Must be cleansed of sin. I cannot get my eyes open if my body and my mind is full of junk. The Bible could be very close to you just on this one issue. If you have a bunch of sin and junk in your life, you're not going to hear from the Word of God. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You cannot see God unless you are pure in heart. The illumination will not happen. If only God illuminated the minds of people who are perfect, then nothing happens. So it doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but you have to be pure Pure doesn't mean perfect. It means your pure in heart. It means I'm caught up on my confession up as of today. God, I've dealt with all my stains. God, I've dealt with all my hardship. There's nothing between me and God. And yes, God, I agree that I've been wrong. And God, I've confessed those to you. I don't allow the garbage to pile up in my life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Your eyes will not be opened. I mean, if I'm over here watching and reading a bunch of pornography, and then I come and say, God, I need you to instruct me in my job. God's not going to do that. You're not going to hear from him. 
It's not going to happen because blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, if you're out here filling your mind with garbage, with trashy novels, with, with filthy magazines, movies, TV shows, junks that don't glorify God, filling my mind with bitterness and lust and resentment and guilt and jealousy and anger that we see on television, we fill our minds with all that stuff, and then we come over here and say, no, God, I'm going to read your word, now speak to me. And he's not going to do that. You fill your mind with the junk of this world, there's going to be roadblocks to you ever hearing from God. I must have a clear conscience. I must have a heart that has been purified of sin. 1 John 2.11 says, Whoever hates his brother is in darkness, and he walks around in darkness. He does not know where he's going. So beyond clearing out the, the junk of life, also our relationships. So you, you, you want to know why you don't know where you're going? Because you've got unresolved conflict in your life. That's why you don't know where you're going, because you're in darkness. The Scripture says, whoever hates his brother in his darkness, walks around in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because darkness has blinded him. And for some of us, we're stuck and we're not hearing from God. Our, our, our sin and conflict's not been cleaned out and our conflict is with another person. See, if I have a big argument with Brianna and it's unresolved, and then I go into my quiet space with God and say, God, speak to me, God's going to say, go deal with your wife and get that taken care of first. And I'm not going to hear anything else because that has to be dealt with first. The Bible says you cannot be right with God and wrong with others. And sometimes what we do is we come into worship and we have a conflict between maybe a coworker, or between a spouse or between a child, and we have a conflict. We come into worship and then God speak to me, and that might be where you're at today is you're barely hearing much today because you're coming here with conflict and God is saying, go take care of that conflict. Matter of fact, the teaching was so strong, it said, leave your gift at the altar and go and deal with it now. In other words, get out of worship and go handle that conflict to deal with the person you're in conflict with. See, for some in this room, maybe you need to make a phone call this afternoon. Maybe you need to write a letter or an email seeking forgiveness or apologizing or setting up a meeting to say, we've got to talk. And you can have a roadblock. The Scripture's not coming alive. Your mind's not being illuminated because there's conflict in a relationship. You say, I can't let go of that grudge. There's no way I can forgive that person. I want to tell you, you don't hold a grudge. The grudge holds you. You think, I'm going to hold on to that grudge or I can't forgive. You're hurting yourself. It holds you in a self-imposed prison of pain. It's time to let it go. If there is a wrong or a hurt towards somebody else, it's time to forgive and it's time to let it go. And ask God, God, open my eyes. Come with a humble attitude. Cleanse my heart of sin and conflict. And number five, commit to do what God says in advance. This is unqualified, unconditional obedience that says, God, I'm getting ready to sit down here. I'm going to open up your word. I'm going to pray. Open my eyes. I may see wonderful things in your law. And then when God says, here's what I want you to do, you have to be committed. If God guides you, say, I'm going to do it. God says, I want you to do this for your wife. I want you to do this with your kids. I want you to do this at work. I want you to do this with your business. I want you to do this with your family. I want you to do this with your friends. I want you to do this between me and you. If you're, you're, you're praying, praying, praying and saying, God, open my eyes. And God, I want to do it in faith. Then you have to come with a heart that says, when you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. Is it hard? Yes. Is it unpopular? Yes, but you still got to be willing to do it. I'm saying yes, even before you tell me what to do. Psalm 119, teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them. You see the promise? There's a commitment there. I will keep them. You teach me and I'll do it. Give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. So in other words, whatever you show me, I'm going to act on it. 
Why? Because acting is the bottom line. Love the Word, learn the Word, and then live the Word. I'm going to act on it. God's not going to give you step two until you act on step one. I've laid out several Scripture and several action for you today, and just wonder if you'll do it. This is our memory verse for this week, James 1.22. Would you repeat after me? James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, I want you to see how crazy some of you are. Do it like I'm driving down the road in my car. James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the Word. You guys are almost there. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's what I would do in my car. I want to encourage you to do God's Word this week. Heavenly Father, Your Word is alive and it is active. Lord, Your Word illuminates our mind. Your Holy Spirit does a work inside of us. It'll teach us, guide us, instruct us, uh, give us all wisdom and counsel that we need. Father, I pray that we would do what it says. I pray, Lord, that we don't just hear Your Word here this morning. I pray, Lord, that we will live it, that we will do it. And Father, one of those steps of doing Your Word today could be possibly for some in this room to commit to knowing what it means to be saved, to actually take that step, maybe to walk to the back room during this time of communion, maybe to use that connection card, maybe to reach out to a friend that they're sending with and say, hey, teach me further. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be born again? Father, would you turn the light bulb on for us? Illuminate our minds as we read your word, as we study your word, Lord. Turn the lights on for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Think about the men on the road to Emmaus. Didn't understand the death, the burial, the resurrection. Lord, we are blessed because of your word to have complete understanding that that communicates your great love, your great sacrifice, and the fact that we can be made whole again. And Lord, we celebrate that this morning as we receive our communion. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. It's in his name we pray. Amen.